Hi, this is Alina Kanner and Megan Barrington, and you're listening to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, where we dive into all things health, wellness, and fitness. We are two certified athletic trainers who met and graduated together from the University of Arkansas, and we wanted to do this podcast to spread our joy about treating our bodies well through nutrition, exercise, and knowledge. Today, we welcome Steph Reed. She is known as Natural Mentality on Instagram, and she is a pediatric occupational therapist, a wellness blogger, a future nutritional therapy practitioner, and she's married to a built-in personal trainer who we went to grad school with and we will be interviewing in a couple weeks. Hi, Steph. Welcome to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. How are you doing? Good. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. So uh, you are a pediatric occupational therapist. Yes. What is the setting that you're working in? Are you at a school or where are you at? Yes. So I am in the public schools right now. So I work, um, well, I work for a private company, but they kind of outsource me to school. So I work at two different schools at an elementary school and a middle school right now. So it's busy, but it's good. <laughs> yeah. Did you always know you want to do pediatric? Um, yes and no. I did work with adults for a while. Um, I worked at Mayo Clinic doing acute care. Um, and I liked that. It's definitely different. It's fast paced and it's always changing, which I like, um, isn't always the case with kids, but, um, ultimately, yeah, I love working with kids. So I just kind of went back to that. In an occupational therapy session, what do you, uh, like cover with them? Like, what are your range of clients and Yeah. So in the schools, it's a lot of fine motor skills, a lot Mm -hmm. of handwriting. So Mm -hmm. um, most of my students have either autism or developmental delay of some sort um, or ADHD. I see a lot too. Um, So we work on their fine motor skills, their visual motor skills, um, kind of integrating those so that they can perform um, with their peers in the classroom. Wow. That's awesome. So do they have extra homework that you give them? I don't normally give them too much homework. Um, Really, it's more of just, it's enough of a struggle to get them to try to for what we do in therapy into their classroom. So I focus more on, it's almost like in school homework. I tell them, okay, this is how we're going to do it now. Um, Whether it's a handwriting strategy or cutting or whatever it might be. And then getting them to implement that when they're writing in their classroom is hard enough. So that's kind of the work that I give them. <laughs> so do you see them every day? You're the kids that you're working with? No. So um, most of the kids I see once a week, sometimes if they have short attention spans, I'll break it up and I'll see them twice a week. Um, but most of them I only see between like one and four times a month. So it's not a lot. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's not a lot at all. Um, it's hard to make progress in such short amounts of time. Um, so that is kind of a disadvantage of the school setting. Yeah. Is that, um, is that normal for pediatric or is it more, more normal or common to have like an actual outpatient clinic that they would have to go to separately? Is it? Um, so some kids do both. Um, Mm -hmm. the kids with autism, developmental delay, the kids that have more severe, um, issues going on, they, will likely see outside therapy as well. Um, and that's usually like, excuse me, like once a week for an hour or maybe more. Um, and they were really hammering those, those skills. So it's pretty common in the school setting to not see them as much, but in the outpatient setting, um, they definitely get a lot more time, which is good. Got it. So where do you do your schooling? So I, for grad school, I went to Washington University in St. Louis, and then I did my undergrad at University of Illinois in Champaign, okay. so. Got it. And is that's where you met Chris, right? That is where yeah. I met Chris, okay. yes. We both I, worked him. <laughs> I just have to tell you, I remember him telling me about you when, so I was a year ahead of Chris uh-huh. in grad school, and I remember him telling me about his, his friend, Steph, <laughs> I'm using air quotes for everyone that's listening on the podcast, not the visual. Um, his friend who I think it was about like nutrition or something like that. Like you were interested yeah. in getting, getting into nutrition. Um, but at that point, I, I don't know if he was like asking me for advice. I don't really remember, but I just remember him talking about you and then yes. lo and behold, he had a huge crush on you and you know, <laughs> just like never said that to me. So, um, and then you guys started dating and now you're married and we, yeah. Alina and I both know Chris pretty well and he's, we're going to have him on in a couple of weeks and he's just I'm so stoked for that episode. He's yeah. you guys are a power couple. 
Power couple. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, um, how did you wind up? So the reason that we're actually having you on is that you obviously you're a pediatric ortho or ortho pediatric occupational therapist, but mm-hmm. you have the, your Instagram is kind of how we we all wound up finding you, and that's Natural Mentality is your handle, and you're mm-hmm. you're studying to become a nutritional therapy practitioner. So how did you end up? getting into that and, and blogging, um, with a full-time job already, like what sparked that? Yeah. So I had always kind of been interested in blogging for a long time, um, but didn't really have a direction to go in. I wasn't really sure what I would really even blog about. Um, and then in 2018, I was studying for my boards for OT and I did my first Whole30. And that was what really kind of launched me into the nutrition world. Um, I read, all the Whole30 books learned so much about nutrition and the things that we put in our bodies. And that just like really sparked an interest in me um, with nutrition. So that's kind of how the blog came to be because in the nutrition world, there's just a lot of misinformation and there's just so much that people believe that is really backwards. So that was kind of my goal was to kind of get into that field and just put the truth out there, the, the stuff that has real research that backs it. Um, and then kind of going off of that to um, spark my interest to become a nutritional therapy practitioner, I did a lot of research on programs and looked into even what it would take to become an RD, and that was just a lot. So didn't really want to go that route. Um, and I stumbled upon the Nutritional Therapy Association and looked at their programs and it really aligns with what I already know and um, what I believe in. So it's been really great so far. Um, I'm really excited to keep going with it. We're about four weeks in now. So cool. Yeah. I've looked at that program too. And I, it's just, I truly think 10 years from now, I'm praying that it's something that's more, more common, common knowledge and you're collaborating with physicians and dietitians and, um, just everyone. Cause it's just, it's, I mean, as all three of us know, nutrition is everything like it's mm-hmm. something you do every day. So it's something that yeah. needs to be thought about when you're dealing with anything really. Are you able to utilize nutrition in your work? Like, can you talk to your pediatric clients like about nutrition? Cause I recently read a book on nutrition and implementing it for ADHD and autism and how it's, it can be life-changing for these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask that too. Yeah. So I can't. And that is a huge reason why I am doing this program because yeah. I mean, especially when I started working in the schools, I see these kids who are just struggling. They have behavior issues. They cannot attend to anything because they're so distracted. They have sensory processing issues. And then you see them eat lunch and it's packaged processed yeah. food that's all sugar and food dye and just garbage. And it's just so frustrating. I'm like, there's no amount of OT in the world that's going to help them if this is how they're eating every day. So it's really an integrative approach. That's really how it needs to. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, so when you do become an NTP, will you be able to do that? Is that something that the, I don't know what your, is it OTP? What is the, like the NATA, APTA of OT? It's AOTA. AOTA, sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, I could have just figured out the acronym, but um, so the AOTA, will they recognize NTP as something that you can use in your practice or? No, unfortunately, probably not. It's not really under our scope of practice. So um, my ultimate goal um, eventually is to kind of work for myself and do my own thing. I think yeah. that being an OT, I have a really unique perspective when it comes to working with kids and nutrition specifically, because a lot of OTs work on feeding. And I mean, kids can be super picky and it can be really hard to change their diets. Um, but it actually is a field of OT that works on the actual feeding aspect and getting kids to try different foods and to be okay with different textures of foods and things like that. So I think that that's something that I can kind of use, um, when I eventually just have my own practice. Um, so I can kind of integrate both of those. It won't necessarily be OT per se, but that's awesome. It's definitely a skill set that I'll be able to use. Yeah, that's so awesome. 100%. I think it has to kind of all be together because 
this, I mean, I read this book and I got so into it. I can look up the name after and it's crazy. You can, all the food dye, it, all the sugar that these kids eat. And then you're trying to help them with these little motor skills and they're unable to do it. Not because they maybe can't do it, but maybe because of what they're ingesting. Cause we are what we eat. That's really what it comes down to. Um, Is there research in the OT world, like on nutrition and its role? Cause I just, I feel like people are realizing like, Oh, Hey, our gut has a role in everything else in our body. Like, are they, are people, uh, is that on their radar in like the general OT world or no? Not really. Unfortunately, I haven't come across it very much. It's, you know, I, it's something that I'm so passionate about that in my work setting, I always kind of broach the topic with people and just kind of see where they're at. And truly the people that I've worked with um, in the OT world, they have no idea. And it's not, it's not that they're not interested in it or it's not that they don't believe in it but it's just not common knowledge unfortunately and they just they're they're not looking they're not necessarily seeking it out because they don't know you know the gut and the brain are so connected and we're working with people with I mean a lot of OTs work with people with brain injuries and nutrition is huge when it comes to brain injuries but it's just it's overlooked and I mean the hospital setting is one of the worst places to eat food it's their food is gross yeah trying to heal and you gotta pave the way you gotta pioneer that (laughs) go back and get a phd make it like your dissertation or something because i know i mean you know we all know it's coming yeah people are gonna realize i think in the next 10 years there's gonna be a huge like uproar of how and what we put in our body and how it's affecting us and i think that the people that are already talking about it now are really ahead of the game. But I, I wish it was different, but I think we'll be seeing things change. Mm-hmm. I hope um, so. Yeah. So, um, so, okay. You've done the whole 30 a couple times and you're pseudo doing it now. I remember seeing your story <laughs> and you're actually eating a yeah. bunch of sugar. I, I, I swear. Know. Actually, I think back when I started it, Chris, Chris had reached out to me and he said, oh, it was, I was going to weigh myself mm-hmm. like throughout it. And he was like, you can't do that. And I was like, screw you. But then I was like, okay, well, I want to do it right. But yeah. And I, sh- I didn't buy the book um, just because I, I didn't want to buy the book, but I think I actually might, might buy it just so that I have, you know, more of a perspective of all the things that I necess- didn't necessarily start, struggle with, but mm-hmm. other people do. Um, but yeah, so what's been your experience, um, each round of whole 30 or like kind of tell us people, I guess, probably don't know what the whole 30 is and kind of what, what it entails. So Mm -hmm. explain a little bit about what it entails, why you did it and then what you got out of it. Yeah, for sure. So I am a huge, huge advocate for the whole 30. I think the program is fantastic. I think it's a really good reset. Um, and that's what it is. It's a reset. So I think people kind of get scared away from it because you do, you eliminate a lot. You eliminate dairy, grains, alcohol, legumes, um, sugar, really just, I mean, there's, I can't even cover everything, uh, without looking, looking over at my books, but, um, you do, you eliminate a lot and it can be daunting, but it's a reset and it's intended to be for those 30 days. It's not intended to be your lifelong diet. So I think that's a big misconception with it, but really what it's, what it's meant to do is you eliminate really common inflammatory foods for 30 days, um, kind of reset your body. And then you do a reintroduction period where you pick one food at a time, you reintroduce it throughout your day for a couple days, see how you feel and see how it affects you. So that, so I did my first one because I mostly had suspected that dairy was uh, harming me in some way. Um, and just, I mean, I just kind of had heard of the program. People talked about it a lot. So I just went for it, did my first one in January of 2018. Um, and I loved it and it was hard. Um, because it wasn't what I, what I was used to. Um, but I found it afterwards to be kind of, I just kind of kept going. Like my breakfast is, has been whole 30 ever since I don't eat anything really. That's not whole 30 for breakfast. And you, you know, now I pretty much eat one to two whole 30 meals a day, um, sometimes three without even realizing it, but it's just a really great way to learn your own body and 
you know, that reintroduction to see how foods affect you. So I'm a huge proponent for bioindividuality. Everyone's bodies are different. I can sit here all day and say dairy is inflammatory, but some people tolerate it fine. I actually found that I tolerate it a lot better than I thought. Um, it doesn't really affect me as much as I thought it would. Um, what did you find um, did affect you more? Um, sugar is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a huge sweet tooth forever and ever. And sh- like I, when I eliminate sugar for any period of time, I feel so much better. Me I too. Mean, yeah. It, but it's so hard to do. And it's so interesting how sensitive you are to it when you actually have it. When it's so interesting how like a lot of the time, what is the worst for you is what you actually are craving. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think sugar people kind of crave in general, but yeah, sugar is the most addictive substance on earth. I mean, it's more addictive than drugs and it's, it's crazy. I mean, people are so addicted to it and they don't even know it. And I think that's another big thing I got out of doing the whole 30 was I learned how to read ingredient labels and I learned what certain, you know, I mean, you don't even really look at them a lot of the time. And I learned, I mean, everything has sugar in it, ketchup, things that you would never in a million years think have sugar in them. Mm -hmm. They have it. Mm -hmm. So it really taught me to nitpick what I, what I eat and make sure that things that don't need to have sugar in them don't have sugar in them. Yeah. I feel like if people like, if I had like one piece of advice to give to people other than just like eliminate processed foods, I would say like eliminate condiments. Yeah. You know, like d- dressings, condiments, sauces. Cause like, if you think about it, like, yeah, we had, we had a lot of calories with like liquids, like juices and sodas, but mm-hmm. people put, not only does like one tablespoon of ketchup have five grams of sugar, but people put like a quarter cup, which is four tablespoons. And then think right. about the added sodium too, like not to mention that, but also if you need to add something to that food, like, and I did it with stevia with coffee for so mm-hmm. long and with tea, but if you need to add something to that food, there's something wrong with how you're tasting that food. So if you actually just go super raw it takes about 14 days and then like yeah. you're, you're set. It's or, hard for those 14 days. days, but after that it gets better. Yeah. Yes, definitely resets your taste buds. I mean, now I can hardly eat sweet potatoes cause I think they're too sweet. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The, the orange ones are yeah. those yams or sweet potatoes. Yeah. I like the yellow or like the kind of tan on the inside. I like those. Yeah. I don't really like the orange ones. The Japanese <laughs> ones. They're good. Yes. Yes. Those are good. We've yeah. been making those, um, more recently than the, the orange ones. Yeah, they're more starchy mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry, go ahead. What uh, suggestions do you have for people that maybe are interested in the whole 30 and don't really know where to start? Yeah. My biggest suggestion is to read the books. Um, they, there's a lot of different books that have been written by uh, Melissa Urban, who's one of the co-creators of whole 30. I would recommend buying the Whole30 book, the actual program itself, really learning the program before you start because it's really frustrating to (laughs) realize something later on, like, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to have this. Now I have to start from day one. Um, So really learning the program. And then I also really recommend the book, uh, It Starts With Food. That's kind of the science-y side of it. It goes into why we're eliminating all these things. And it really helps with the motivation aspect. When you're reading about what these foods are potentially doing to your body, it's a lot easier to say, okay, I'm not going to eat that. Right. I don't, I don't want these side effects from these foods. Mm-hmm. So those two books are the biggest thing. And then the other thing is to have somebody do it with you. I mean, having accountability is huge in a program like this. Doing it by yourself is really hard. Um, so finding somebody that'll do it with you or at least just be your cheerleader the whole time yeah. is, is good too. Yeah. That's cool. awesome. Um, what would you do? You, I want to talk a little bit about keto. Um, what is your viewpoint on keto and yeah, just dive into the different, I guess, fad diets. Let's just talk about all the fad diets, not just keto. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, I think when people are like true keto people or true paleo people, it's, it's really easy to get blinded by the one way of eating that works for you and to think that that's the only way. And I've certainly been there. I mean, I've done so many different fad diets and, you know, you kind of get really into the program and you think, okay, this is the only way to do this. Right. Um, 
but going back to that bioindividuality, I think all of them are great. I think that it, if it works for you, it works for you. I think keto is awesome, especially for, um, and like therapeutically for people with seizures or neurological mm-hmm. conditions. It's been shown to really help with those, with that kind of condition. And especially people who have a lot of um, weight to lose, keto has been shown to really help with that as well. Um, so I think it, it's not for everybody, but it definitely is for some people. It's a really great way to eat. Um, I typically kind of waver between keto and paleo. Um, I definitely eat high fat, but not probably not to the extent of getting into ketosis. Um, so it's more of a paleo approach that I go with. But I've actually like, so I was uh, training like crazy amounts a competitive athlete training 15 hours a week and then I'm taking a break right now and in that break I've had to change basically how I'm eating because I'm not training and lately I've been eating I wouldn't say keto at all because I definitely eat carbs um, Mm -hmm. but I really have lowered my carb intake it's probably less than 100 grams of carb a day and I'm eating way more fats and it's so interesting because people, I never, the last few years I really was low on fats, like super low, 20 grams of fat. And I think people don't realize how important healthy fats are to a human diet. And that's why the Mediterranean, yeah, the Mediterranean diet does so well and people that eat that tend to have better long-term health. Um, yeah, so I can totally relate to how you just said you eat more paleo. But uh, yeah, I think healthy fats are huge. They are. And I did the whole macro counting and mm-hmm. um, that kind of world for about a year and a half. Um, and it was it like I felt okay um, for a while doing that. But when I started dieting down and I was eating like that, I think the lowest I ever got was about – 30 grams of fat per day, I felt like I was living in a haze. I just, yeah, brain was not working. I felt awful and I wasn't doing it for anything specific. I wasn't competing or, um, you know, doing any sort of event that I was doing this for. It was more just kind of to see if I could. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have that motivation aspect there. And I just got to a breaking point where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I felt so awful. And it was hard. Um, yeah. A lot of, um, I know a lot of Olympic weightlifters do that. And a lot of athletes in general think they need all these like much more carbs, but I think the balance is huge. And I did that too. I was like 30 grams of fat for like a year and a half, two years. And I don't know. I look back and I'm like, Oh my God, how, how, why did I do that to myself? Because I feel so much better now eating an avocado every day. Brazil mm-hmm. nuts. There's so many positive things for these healthy fats for your hormones. It's crazy. Well, yeah. Think, so your hormones run on fat and yeah. without fat, you can't produce the, the hormones that you need. And, um, your brain is made up of mostly fat. fat so it yep. makes, yeah, your body can't produce it on its own. You have to, you have to eat it to get yeah. it um, into your system. So I think it's important for people to recognize too, that like whatever your, your body is used to running on, is usually what it's going to like be most efficient on. So if you go like cold turkey on something, you're probably going to feel like shit for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, or you'll just feel like kind of out of it, you know? But um, cause I, I know as a, as a competitor, I was at the end of my preps, I'm always low carb and low fat and mm-hmm. you feel like trash. Yeah. So, um, but I also know that like when I, the very first time, and I know other people that have experienced this too. The very first time that I did any kind of like carb cycling. So basically carb cycling is just, you know, like low, you know, a low day. So like literally like no starchy carbs whatsoever. So probably under 50 grams and then another low day and then a high day. So, you know, 150 or something, which is not high by any means. And then just kind of fluctuating them. I didn't really feel any difference because I was so accustomed to eating pretty much paleo, which is what I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, higher fat, higher protein, lower carb. Um, and then when I got into bodybuilding more, you know, I did the typical bodybuilding, like pretty low fat, which I think most people don't understand that a lot of people who are eating really low fat as bodybuilder are taking anabolic steroids, which are <laughs> going to help you with your hormone hormones when you aren't, you know, providing with the cholesterol that you need to, to form the yeah. backbones. Yeah. Um, but I know that after doing that for a year and going higher carb, lower fat, 
the days that I went low carb when my carb cycled next, I felt like shit. Like mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, I understand why people hate this now. Like I feel like I can't even function. So I mean, and like, the, like you said, the quality of the fat. So like if you're eating a high fat meat, like it's important to get something that's not just super inflammatory, nasty, omega-6 only types of fats, you know? So again, like inflammatory has come up how many times in this conversation, but it's kind (laughs) of a buzzword now, I feel like, but I just, I I want everyone, well, obviously put your stuff in the show notes, but I think everyone should check out Steph's blog um, because I've read, I've read it and it's like, it's easy to understand, but it's like, it's also got great content on there and it's so, it's pragmatic. It's not just like everyone needs to do Whole30 because it's the best thing ever, but it's, it explains kind of the background and, you know, and it, it's also understanding of humans and like people are going to drink alcohol because it's normal to drink alcohol yeah. or people are going to want sugar because it's normal. You know, there's a balance, but you also right. should be understanding what you're putting in your body. Um, that can, balance talk- can be hard with social events. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, can you talk about mythical Mondays a little bit? Cause I just, I love your mythical Mondays. <laughs> great, great freaking idea. And um, what, so Kind of give us a background on Mythical Mondays and also sort of what the most like paradigm shattering thing that you've personally found out about nutrition along your kind of learning journey yeah, has been. Yeah. So I started Mythical Mondays because I mean, what I read is just primarily, it's just all this information and research and science that go is completely backwards from what most of America thinks. Like there's just a whole paradigm of nutrition in America. What's promoted by the USDA is not backed by science. It's ultimately backed by the big industries that make money off of it. And that's been, that's probably been the most mind blowing thing for me in this whole process is learning that these recommendations that are being made, I mean, it's a whole chain of people. So it's a recommendation made by your doctor, but he gets the recommendation from his medical school, which is paid by these big corporations who have financial interest in what the medical schools promote. So it just keeps going. And then there's the USDA with my plate, which is just the worst recommendation of all time. (laughs) I mean, I just can't even believe sometimes that that's what they recommend. Um, And you know, finding out that really, without going on a huge tangent, the government is not looking out for our health. They're looking out for how they can make the most money and they make money off of people being sick. Wait, have you read The Unhealthy Truth? I haven't. You got to read it. Because everything you're talking about (laughs) right now, oh my God, it will. But yeah, keep going, keep going. Yes. I mean, the government makes these recommendations. They create the problem of people being sick, and then they create the quote-unquote solution of pharmaceuticals that are supposed Mm -hmm. to cure you. So they make so much money off of us being sick, and it's just, it's all financial interest. It's not interest in the well-being of the health of, you know, our society, which is sad. It's it's really sad. It's very sad. But yeah, that's, I mean, going back, that's kind of the point of my Mythical Mondays is to present the real research and the science and the things that people don't know about kind of in a way where it's understandable. And it's really just kind of my way of getting people thinking and, you know, trying to switch their, their thought process on food and it's hard and a lot of people disagree, but yeah. And people think it's like, it's hippie. It's hippie. Like people think it's like, Oh, you're such a health nut, like whatever. Well, you're sick. So (laughs) Right, <laughs> and you don't like being sick, so here's some real evidence. And I don't know. I just that sounds so cynical, but it's true though. It's, it's like okay, it's well, one person's healthy, one person's sick, like, and one person's making fun of the other person. It's like it makes no sense, but yeah. I mean that unfortunately, it's where our society is at. And I, I really think it. I'm. I hope in the next ten to twenty years, things will kind of go back to how we were millions of years ago when we were eating more like our ancestors and that's really how it how it needs to be yeah Yeah. well and i don't think that people know that most doctors don't really get a whole lot of nutrition education oh no they get maybe a day maybe a week they like don't get a class even i think it's like one class and that's what gets a lot of their patients where they are nutrition. so it just makes sense to reverse it with nutrition but i mean that's a resource thing that's an education thing so it's just 
It's so hard. It's so it hard. hard. It's, it's, it's like, hard. Yeah. People don't know where to go for help because you go to your doctor and they're wired to diagnose and prescribe. And that's kind of where people, people all of a sudden find themselves on four or five, six medications and feeling worse than they ever have before. Yeah. And then you're kind of so deep into it that it's hard to even get your body back to where it was when you were initially feeling sick before all these medications, because they just mess with your entire system and just cause so many metabolic issues. So it's, that's- I mean, I'm sure you're seeing it with your kids too, because especially this, that other book, it's called the new age of childhood epidemics. I think you'd really like it too, but they talk about asthma, allergies, autism, ADHD, and how it's in the influence of food on those four epidemic um, I wouldn't call it diseases, conditions. but yeah, conditions. Uh, it's, it's crazy. And when you change up the food, how much better it can get. I mean, I know myself, I struggled with allergies and eczema my whole life and I stopped eating gluten and dairy. And I mean, I wish I found it before I was in my twenties, but I found that, you know, so that saved me. And I know there's so many kids that are struggling with that and adults too. And they just, instead of changing their food, they'll just take prednisone or they'll just, you know, take a lot of Benadryl or, and that is not a solution. That is a short-term solution. Yeah. We need to go and actually find the long-term solutions. Yeah. It's really sad. And, um, you know, researchers are saying that kids now are probably, it's the first generation of kids that are not going to outlive their parents because we're just raising the sickest generation of kids that we've ever seen in you know, life. And it's just, I see it every day. It's so sad. I mean, these kids are just in pain and a lot of them can't, don't even have the skills to communicate it. So it comes out in behavior Mm -hmm. and a lot of behavior that I see with kids who have pretty severe autism, who can't say my head hurts, my stomach hurts. It comes out in they just kind of lash out because they don't know what else to do. Right. So switching up their diets, cleaning that up and really healing their gut is going to show, I mean, not only just health improvements, but behavioral improvements. And I mean, there's kids that are put on detox protocols because a lot of kids with autism can't detox the way that a healthy kid can. And just putting a kid on a detox protocol, I mean, there's, there's so many different ones out there, but kids are going from banging their head against the wall to speaking in full sentences and engaging with their siblings and their peers. And it's just, it's amazing what food and what we're putting in our bodies can do. Do you have any resources that you, so like, I don't know where you, where you learned that. Cause I, I mean, I understand that that makes total sense, but I didn't know that that there's actually been studies studies on that. So people are looking at it, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have a resource that we could list in the show notes? Um, There's actually a doctor here in Scottsdale, um, Dr. Nemechek. He, um, he works with kids uh, and really with parents um, of kids with disabilities and puts them on, he has a whole protocol. um, And it really is that high fat is like the, like crook of his protocol is to get these kids eating healthy fats to help heal their brains. Um, and I mean, there's a lot more that goes into his protocol, but he's a really good resource, especially if there's any parents that are looking to help their kid with disabilities or allergies or whatever it might be. Um, he's a really good resource. Um, his website has all the information in the world on there. Um, so that's the one that I definitely recommend, um, looking into, um, there's another doctor um, that I actually have found through Instagram, um, Dr. Kyle Daigle. I think it's D-A-I-G-L-E. Um, he works with uh, people with brain injuries or spinal cord injuries and um, doing different kinds of therapies, a lot of red light therapy. Um, I find him super interesting because he looks for retained primitive reflexes and kids with ADHD and autism and all kinds of things. And it's amazing how many kids and adults that retain these reflexes that we're supposed to kind of grow out of as babies. And there's grown adults who still have them and it affects them in their way of, you know, it just affects them in so many ways. It affects their attention, their ability to 
process and um, all, all the different kinds of executive functioning skills that that you need to function normally. Yeah, so. and that's the base of everything. Mm-hmm. You probably overlook it mostly as a society because we're looking at more macro macro things but that's wow that's cool i'm totally gonna look him up that sounds really interesting so in this book actually that i read the new childhood epidemics one which i'll link in the show notes too it was very interesting i don't even know how i came across it on my kindle but i just did and i got into it it talked a lot about methylated b12 and glutathione and how that really helps kids with adhd asthma and seriously autism um and allergies and i don't know if you've heard about that or what your opinion is on that. Yeah. So, um, the methylated B12, so that like methylation is another huge topic, um, because there's a gene mutation that a lot of people, myself included have where you can't methylate as efficiently. It's the MTHFR gene. Yeah. And I have- Back up, what's methylation? Because people are not going to know what methylation is. (laughs) So it's kind of like- I am not a super expert on this, um, but um, methylated B, it's kind of how you process your nutrients is kind of like a really broad way, I would say, um, of describing it. Um, Yeah. So you can eat like a sort, like you can eat a source of nutrients, but if your body can't process it correctly and break it down into a usable substance, then there's, it's not going to do anything for you. So that's kind of a really rudimentary way of explaining. No, I think that's great. So I'm going to, I'm going to read a definition just because I want to make sure that we're super clear on this because none of us are experts, but we all are nerds for sure. So (laughs) DNA methylation is a process by which methyl groups are added to the DNA molecule. What that means is that it can change the activity of a DNA segment without changing the sequence. So basically you turn things off or you turn things on. So if you're unable to methylate, which I think close to 50% of our society actually has that MTHFR gene, uh, which again, that's also like, I am assuming that gene can be manipulated too by certain things, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not a geneticist, so I don't know. Um, So when located in a DNA or gene promoter, DNA methylation typically acts to repress gene gene transcription. So it can turn things off. Mm -hmm. So basically if you can't methylate, you're not going to be able to do certain things that people who can methylate can do. Right. Um, so you can also have a mutation in the MTRR gene, which I'm pretty sure I actually have. I, I, I didn't get it tested, but from experimenting, I have found out, but yeah. <laughs> so if you take uh, a methylated B12, it actually it's pre-methylated. So it's easier for your body to absorb it. Yeah. And it's going to affect like your detox capability. I mean, B12 is super important for like your liver and metabolism and everything. So, but a lot of these autistic kids can't, I think that's, what you were getting at too. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of them can't. Um, and I mean, a lot of people that don't even have these issues can't either. I mean, I have the MTHFR gene mutation. Um, I have one copy of it. So one copy is always like, okay, well, is it helping me or is it not? (laughs) Um, (laughs) it gets kind of uh, tricky there, but Yeah. yeah. So a lot of kids, I mean, especially if your gut health isn't uh, it like up to par, then like you, like you said earlier, you are what you eat. Um, a big thing that people are starting to say now is you are what you absorb. So Uh you can be eating all the, all the right things, but if you're not absorbing those Mm -hmm. nutrients, it's not gonna, it's not gonna do anything for you. So, and I feel like if you just decrease the amount of stress that you're putting on your body, your body will be able to do what it's supposed to do pretty, pretty easily on a daily basis. Like your liver is able to detox if you're not slamming it all the time and it doesn't have all these other things to take care of. Right. Yeah. So definitely. Yeah. definitely. And stress is, I'm kind of, so I, I mean, I've always been interested in nutrition and now I'm kind of looking into um, and learning more about how stress really affects the body. I've always been a very high stress, high anxiety person <laughs> my whole adult life. Um, a high achiever. And, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So I take on 1 million things and I think that that's when I'm happiest is when I'm busiest. And mm-hmm. there's some truth to that. I really, I feel like I do thrive when I'm busy and doing a lot of things, but um, I've really run my adrenals kind of out of business here. So I've been really uh, looking into I've learned meditation in the last couple of months, kind of started um, that whole process and it, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard. Have you tried acupuncture? 
I haven't. My mom actually just you went to an actress for the first time ever and she loved it. So you pass out. I'm also <laughs> puts you to sleep. I'm like you no, it doesn't. Not for me. It, I like it puts try. Me to sleep. Well, that's good. I mean, I <laughs> wish, but I'm also very similar to you, very high stress, high anxiety, etc. I've never been able to get into meditation. Finally, after like two, three months of going to acupuncture, I finally have been able to like meditate, like really oh. meditate. So I totally recommend it. That's interesting. I haven't heard that. Okay. Yeah. That's, I'm going to have to look into that. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's a, it's hard. It's really hard to turn your brain off when you are used to going yeah. a million miles an hour all day, yeah. every day. Um, yeah. but I think it's super important. I think being able to turn your brain off and just kind of relax into your body is, is huge. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to be better about it, um, through that and yoga and, um, just kind of slowing down. I went, yeah. I had a crazy year last year. So now I'm just kind of trying to come down from it still. Yeah. Closing some tabs is kind of how I picture it. Yeah, exactly. I always have, thir- I mean, literally on my computer, I have like 30 open and then in my brain, <laughs> there's always 30 things going on. But so what you were saying about stress and how it affects like your body. So I have recently been so, so interested in the, I didn't know there was actually like a, a, like a clinical something that you could actually study, but psychophysiology. So that's actually mm-hmm. something that you can go into um, and, and further your education in. Uh, I don't remember. I feel like I was listening to a podcast a couple of days ago where the woman who was speaking on it was talking about her background was in psychophysiology. So basically that's exactly what you just said. It's like, how does your mind affect your body? Mm-hmm. How does your body affect your mind and all that? So do you know, how, do you know anyone who has, it would be a good resource for that just for like future podcast guests that you can think of. You know, I don't. And that's super interesting. That's like, so in my wheelhouse, cause I got my undergrad in psychology and then mm-hmm. the rest of my schooling has really been kind of like the physiology side. Um, but I think it's as far as I know, kind of like a relatively new area mm-hmm. um, or, you know, emerging at least of being po- like a new popularity. Um so I don't, I don't know anybody specific, um, but it's, I'm definitely interested in that. So I'll have okay. to look more into it. Yeah. I'll look it up and I'll, I'll message you if I find, um, where I found that. Cause I should write things down, but usually I'm driving. So yeah. <laughs> I like, I'm like, Oh, I should definitely remember that. And then I don't remember it, but yeah, the, um, there's a woman, um, she's a psychologist that I have follow on Instagram. She's the, called the holistic psychologist. Great. Uh, I follow her too. Yeah. She's wonderful. So she kind of, she kind of goes, she goes pretty deep into the psyche and just kind of what goes on. And it's really interesting. She really talks about, you know, how our childhood has affected how we are today and you never really think about it. I mean, there's just Mm -hmm. so many things that I'm sure we repress and, um, don't even remember about childhood, but she's a really interesting resource when it comes to kind of healing from, from past trauma and things like that. It must be cool to actually be working with kids that are in it now Mm -hmm. and actually seeing that unfold. Um, Cool and hard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What are like some moments that you've had working with a kid that have been special? I mean, it's always so fun when a kid has been working on a skill for so long and then it finally kind of breaks through. And it's, I always, I mean, my mind always goes back to nutrition. I always wonder, hey, if you just changed your diet, I, you probably wouldn't need me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really cool when kids finally, you know, take that step and they finally are able to write their name, you know, something that's so simple for other kids, but can be like a lifelong struggle for others. Yeah. Um, so that's always really cool. Something else that's been cool, you know, cool and not, um, I went from working at, um, a dist- a school district with, um, pretty impoverished families. And I, it's, it's hard because those kids really don't make much progress. And that's one of the most frustrating parts of my job is you just don't see, a lot of carryover, especially at home. These kids are brought home. They're plopped in front of a TV or an iPad and they're just kind of left to fend for themselves because, I mean, parents are working or they have so many other things to worry about um, that it's not a high priority. And this school year, I actually moved to um, a different school district because 
um, well, I moved because we were planning on actually moving and then we didn't move. So now my commute is quite nice, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I actually am in a school district that has um, a lot uh, more well-off families. And I actually do get to see families that address nutrition and it's, it's bittersweet because it's really cool to see them healing their kids and actually addressing these issues and feeding them foods that are not packaged and that are actually nourishing their bodies. But it just breaks my heart that it's not accessible to everybody and that, you know, there's different populations that just can't access that information or they think they can't access that kind of food. So that's another big um, I actually, so I work with kids too. And something that I had been thinking about, because I under, completely understand that frustration. I've worked in very low income, impoverished schools. And also um, I work in a private school now and it's completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, I have thought about the idea of having, so like almost like, you know, how you had pen pals when you were younger. Yeah. You'd have like nutrition pals where <laughs> you're going to have, maybe there's like a school that's in a higher, higher income um, society and you as in your role, I mean, it'd, it'd be different in your role, obviously, cause you're working with a very specific population, but you are still involved in the school. And I think it would be a really cool thing, like a project for these kids to work on. Like, Hey, we're going to learn about like vegetables and what they're good for and things like that. And then you could maybe have a sister school that's in an impoverished area that, you know, you could educate those kids. I mean, I don't, obviously that would, that's an idea. Like yeah, totally, totally that. not something that you could just easily plop into place. But I mean, <laughs> you are in a position where, I mean, I don't know how close you are with your administration, but mm-hmm. I think, I think that would be amazing. Cause I think the biggest, yeah. the biggest issue, um, cause we can just preach all day about like, people need to understand people need to educate themselves, but not everyone has that resource right? and not everyone. Yeah. I, I truly don't think that eating healthy can be that. Exp- I think it can be relatively cheap if you understand how to do it, but I don't think if you don't understand how to do it, you don't know how to do it in a relatively economical way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably the biggest, um, the biggest like hole in what yeah. people's understanding is. So just an yeah, idea. I mean, yeah. I love that idea. And one of the biggest um, barriers I think for people is that you don't know what you don't know. So a lot of those parents have no idea that yeah. this food is harming their kids the way it is. I mean, they, a lot of people think, okay, what you eat, if your weight is maintained and if you're not obese or overweight, then it's fine. You can eat whatever you want. Lucky right. for you but they just don't understand that. It's more than what's on the outside. It's on, all happening on the inside. You could be super little and skinny, um, but if you're feeding yourself processed food, great. I'm yeah. glad you're small, but yeah. what's going on in the inside is and really it's what it's developing matters. too. And people are more, more or less susceptible based on, again, like we were saying, your psychology and your, your mental stress. Your, your genes, your methylation, so much goes into it. It's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. It is. So we like to ask all of our guests um, what they do in their life. It could be on a daily basis or um, whenever. What do you do to move your brain and to move your body? Yeah, so I feel like my brain is just always moving. (laughs) (laughs) A full-time job, school, the blog. I mean, I'm always going. But um, really to move my brain, uh, I read a lot. I think that's the biggest thing for me. I like to... I like to challenge my own points of view and reading things that kind of go against even what I believe to just see the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really good way to kind of stretch your knowledge. And Ooh, that's uh, hard. That is, it, it is hard. Oh, I, yes. I 100% think that is genius. It is, hard. it is hard, but it's hard to defend your viewpoint if you don't understand that, the other side. Yeah. Right. And so, you're just, it's so much, it's so much better. Yeah. So that's so a big dogmatic. thing for me, especially for me, it's, um, understanding veganism because I so just health wise, I just don't believe in it for one second. It's just in that that's a huge thing that people. You are did a rant yesterday. Healthy. Yeah, I did. I'm, so on the same, I'm on the same page. It's just so hard to be to be healthy and and yeah whole just, with it. Right. I mean, you can't get protein. You can't get B12. Your B vitamins. I mean, from a health solely from a health standpoint it's just, it's not healthy. It's not a healthy way to live. You're not going to get what you need. Um, so that is a huge battle. We're going to have to have you back on to talk about just that. 
Yeah. Cause <laughs> like do that's it. something that's an episode we would love to do. And your rant yesterday on Instagram, if it's still up, definitely oh, it's still go there. check it out. Oh, it was a mythical <laughs> Monday, right? Yeah. It is. It yeah. Monday. So yeah. it was kind of based on, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you can get plant- plenty of protein from plants or beans. And it's just, you can't, I mean, you can get, you can get higher protein levels, but at the cost of extremely high carbohydrate levels too. Yeah. You can't just get, there's not a lot of sources of just protein. Disclaimer though, obviously there are reasons for becoming vegan that do not involve health and it's an oh, ethical yeah. thing. Although I would say there's a lot of holes in the ethical argument as well, but there are <laughs> just, just saying like, I, I don't want this episode to sound like we're just bashing all vegans because there are definitely people that do it because for moral reasons and that's their prerogative for sure. But if you're doing it to lose weight or you're doing it to be quote unquote healthier, do your research. (laughs) Right. That is, yes, that is the root of my argument as well. And it's so hard sometimes to come off that way. Um, But you are so right. There are moral, ethical, religious reasons to not eat animal products and you know, I always respect those. You, you have the freedom to choose what you put in your body. Um, but if you're doing it for a health stand for like a purely health reason, then you need to do your research. Then yeah. you need to read the mythical Mondays. <laughs> I, I totally think we're going to have to do another episode just, just on that. Yeah. yeah that, that would be a great episode. We um, have a debate. Oh my Let's God. get a vegan on here. Oh Steph can debate the vegan. Oh my God. Almost a lot of my clients are either vegetarian or vegan, so I can, I can grab one. Yeah, hard. Perfect. Um, Becoming popular. What do you do to move your body? I know you said earlier you do yoga, but you can yeah, give another so I've been example. Getting, yeah, I've been getting more into kind of the low impact world, which is cool. new-ish for me. Um, <laughs> being married to a personal trainer, you know, there's not a whole lot of low impact going on. Um, his gym is, is more high impact and I love going there and I love getting the training there. They are fantastic at what they do. Um, but because I had such a stressful year last year, um, changing jobs, getting married, it was a big year. Um, I have completely depleted my adrenals. And like I said before, so kind of trying to heal from that. So it's a lot more yoga and, dog walking, you know, rest, things like that. Um, which is, it's been good. It's been definitely necessary for me. Um, but if I had my choice, I would do more high impact cause I think it's more fun. <laughs> Word. Yeah. I, but the low impact stuff is what heals the soul. Yes. Yeah. And what I've been telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's hard to slow down, but yeah, I think they've almost it. embraced it definitely much all right awesome awesome. thank you so much for this this was an amazing conversation and we're gonna have to have you on again thank you it was so fun it's my first podcast you did great it was so great (laughs) we hope you enjoyed this episode of move your brain move your body podcast join in every week as we release new episodes Subscribe or leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or topics you would like us to cover, please email moveyourbb at gmail.com or send us a message at our Instagram handles at megzy072 and at Alina Canner. Thanks for listening.